How are you? That was good here. That is good right here. Let's try that again. Good morning. Hey, there you go. You're here. It's exciting for us to be here. Um, we are uh, um, uprooting and from Chicago and moving here. Um, for us, it's just a grand adventure, and that's how we look at it. And even though it hasn't been too many weeks since Shree and I were here with you last, um, there has felt like this long period of time of wanting to get back. And when the Lord was kind of confirming that indeed this was the place that, the, that we would be and, and the opportunity to come together and work together as a church family, uh, from that point on, it was hard to, to really focus with 100% on my task and, and uh, things I needed to do there because I wanted to be here. And so, uh, so we're excited to be here this morning. Uh, most of you had, had met Cherie, but I wanted to still introduce my family to you uh, briefly. So uh, my wife, Cherie, here. Yeah, please. Um, so, yeah. Cherie, uh, we celebrate 15 years this summer coming up, so uh, excited about that. So, and I can remember the date, knee-jerk. I'm pretty good about it. Uh, my oldest son, James, here. James is 11 in sixth grade. He's uh, going to Guilford Middle right up the road. Yeah. All right. And my second son, T.C., here, he's 10 years old, just turned 10 years old, and he uh, is up in fourth grade at Guilford Elementary. Uh, and then we have a third one that was over here, Sierra, who's five, and, and uh, she has a lot of energy, so I'm sure you'll see her running around, hopefully with your kids later. Well, it's exciting to be here, but let me tell you why. Um, when we came here, we had really no desire to find just a church position and, and find a place that we could just say, hey, let's leave Trinity uh, and get to a church. We wanted to be in a place where we could really sense the Lord was at work already. And so in spending time with the board and then coming out and spending four days with you, it was really clear to me the Lord was already at work here. Now, that doesn't mean that the Lord doesn't have a lot of work still to do and wants to reveal much to us as a church family, but it was really clear that the Lord was already at work that lives were already being transformed, that people were already surrendered to ministry and to service. And that was pretty exciting to us to come and be a part of. And so this Sunday, uh, as, as I'm up here, and, and it's the first week, I won't lie to you that there's not nervousness as well, but it's more of an overwhelming excitement to be with you, and I think our family uh, feels the same. It's also exciting to me to be uh, in a town with a restaurant named Biscuitville. Oh. Uh, I have already partaken. Uh, it was the first fast food place I've been to where you can order grits. Uh, having been born in Atlanta but moved very early to Southern California, I, uh, you know, Southern food is my roots and my mom still cooks that way, but you don't get it that way anywhere else in the nation. Uh, you get a little bag of instant grits, you know, that you add to water, so it's a little bit different here. So uh, being at Biscuitville the other day and... and uh, eating those grits, uh, my curiosity started to run a little bit, and I wondered a little bit about the Biscuit Hillville background and history. So uh, thanks to Wikipedia, let me give you a little Biscuitville information. All right, there we go. There it is. Biscuitville, of course, it's a fast food chain. There's about 55 locations. It's only in, in North Carolina and Virginia, and of course, they specialize in breakfast food and southern cuisine, is what Wikipedia <laughs> says. And all biscuits at Biscuitville are, are made from scratch, and they're made fresh every 20 minutes. Now, those are facts you probably already know because you live here, and you're familiar with the place. Uh, but here's a couple of things you may not have known about Biscuitville. Uh, Biscuitville originally was known as Mountain Brook 
Fresh Bread and Milk Company. So this is the place I understand that you would go right before the snow to stack up on your, <laughs> your bread and milk. Uh, but as, as they made bread, they started to uh, develop pizza crust and started to make pizza and were known as Pizzaville. But the founder, Maurice Jennings, she wanted to really capitalize on some breakfast business, and so she started to make biscuits. And she used a little bit of their pizza crust recipe to make biscuits, so she made them a little bit different, I guess, than other people make them, and it took off. And eventually she sold a bunch more biscuits than pizzas, and people began to come for the biscuits, not so much for the pizza. They shut down that end of it, opened up a biscuit-only restaurant, which was named Biscuitville in Danville, Virginia, 1975. And from then on, the Biscuitville product was far more successful than the bread and the pizza product that she made. And Biscuitville, you know, though it's not McDonald's or Burger King in size, they made it. They accomplished that goal. They were able to have success or successful restaurants by doing what they were doing, making biscuits. In fact, she didn't start out making biscuits. She probably didn't even have a vision of that, but she did have a vision of a successful restaurant. And it took her time to figure out what it was that she could do really well that would be productive. And so she had to discover biscuits or somewhat even stumble upon it. Her goal remained the same, but her mode to get there was a bit different. You know, as a church, we have a vision and a call. The Lord has placed it on us as his servants, uh, this call. Yet every church functions a little bit different, and every individual Christian even functions a little bit different in the gifting that the Lord has put on us. The goal is the same. It's clear in the book of Matthew. uh, The author of Matthew helps us, and he quotes Jesus, and he says, I'll paraphrase a little bit, go into all the world making disciples. It's our call. It's our vision as Christians. But we often have different goals and strategies on how to accomplish that. You know, often I think we as people focus a lot on our weakness. Uh, Do you do that? Do you focus on your weaknesses? You think about those things you don't do well? Well, often that's what we do. The Gallup uh, group, if you're familiar with the Gallup group, they do a lot of these polls. In fact, you've probably been a part of a Gallup survey at some point in time and not even known it. Uh, But the Gallup group will create all of this data and put it together. And one of the things they've been studying for years is productivity in the workplace. And what they discovered was that companies that focus 80% or more of their time on using the strengths that they have are far more productive than businesses that spend 20% or more trying to grow their weaknesses. You catch that? It's the companies that spend their time focusing on strengths and empowering people to use their strengths are more productive than the companies that spend even a small amount of time trying to keep recovering from their weaknesses. And so, <coughs> so in this, the same can be true for us, that God has empowered us with strengths, and he wants us to use them. For me, uh, I have a strength, my strengths are in the strategic planning categories. In fact, this Gallup poll has also made a thing called strength finders. You can actually go through it and figure out your strengths. So mine show up in the strategic thinking categories. So it would make pretty good sense for me to function in some type of role where I had the ability or the avenue to do some strategic planning and some thinking and processing and looking out and trying to arrange and 
and put pieces in place uh, to try to be productive. Uh, also for me, there's an individualization strength, which is a relational gift. So it makes sense for me to want to be in an environment where I can cultivate and have relationships with people. Your gifts may be very different or maybe the same, but you all have them, and churches have them. And so the Lord has said to us, use your strengths. This is what I have given to you. So this semester, we're going to spend some time discovering and adding to the strengths that we have, not just as a church, but as individuals as well. Because God wants us to be productive as a church. He wants his kingdom to be grown, but he also wants you to be great as a husband, to great as a wife, great as a child, great in your job, great in your relationships, and our strengths can be used. In fact, your strength does not decide what you can and can't do. It just talks to you about the mode on how you're going to get there. Hand in hand with understanding our strengths, though, and our gifting comes this, this thing about searching God's will. In fact, to know our gifts, there's really only one clear biblical reason to have gifts, and it's building up the kingdom of God. And so this gift comes hand in hand with the desire to search God and to ask God, what's your will? What are you calling us to? What are you calling me to as an individual? And so though we'll spend some time over this semester talking about our strengths and our gifting, for the next two weeks, I'd like us to focus on just that, God's will. And so I want to, to kind of this morning intro a two-week series called Seeing God's Will. And for the next two weeks, that's what we're going to do. We're going to focus on a passage and we're going to really break down a couple characters who teach us about how to see God's will. And so we're going to be in mainly in 1 Samuel chapter 14, verse 1 through 14. We're going to look at that passage in just a minute here. So if you want to take a time as I'm talking to find that passage, uh, feel free. As we come out of this series, I want to offer a couple practical ways that we can see God's will and the direction both as a church and individual believers. Now, it's not an exhaustive way to search God's will, but it's two very practical ways that will be of benefit to us. Because over the next several months, it's really a call to each of us as individuals in a church to spend time in front of God, searching for God's will in our lives and as a church. So if you're looking up that, I, I, I want to take a time to read that passage and then process about a couple characters, and then uh, we'll be done with the message this morning. All right. First Samuel chapter 14, verse 1. One day Jonathan, son of Saul, said to his armor bearer, let's go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. But he did not tell his father. He was staying in the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree near Migron. With him were about 600 men, among them Ahijah, who was wearing an ephod, he was son of Ichabod's brother, Ahitub of Phinehas, and the son of Eli, the Lord's servant at Shiloh. No one was aware that Jonathan had left. <coughs> On each side of the path that Jonathan intended to cross to reach the Philistine outpost was a cliff. One was named Bozes and the other Sina. One cliff stood on the north towards Michmash and the other in the south towards Geba. Jonathan said to his armor-bearer, Come, let us go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving us, whether by many or by few. Do all that you have in mind, his armor-bearer said. Go ahead, I am with your heart and soul. 
Jonathan said, Come on then. We will cross over towards them and let them see us. If they say to us, Wait there until we come to you, we will stay where we are and not go up to them. But if they say, Come up to us, we will climb up, because that will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. So both of them showed themselves to the Philistine outpost. Look, said the Philistines, the Hebrews are crawling out of their holes where they are hiding. The men of the outpost shouted to Jonathan and his armor bearer, Come up to us, and we'll teach you a lesson. So Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Climb up after me. The Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Jonathan climbed up using his hands and feet with his armor bearer right behind him. The Philistines fell before Jonathan, and his armor bearer followed and killed behind them. In that first attack, Jonathan and his armor bearer killed some 20 men in an area of about half an acre. So it's an interesting passage here, not one that you probably would jump to right away and say, yeah, that's pretty clear on how to seek God's will in that passage. In just a minute, I want to talk to you about the two characters and talk to you a little bit about why. And next two weeks, we'll break down each individual character. One thing you need to keep in mind in this passage is that the battle is going on. The Philistines, now these are the bad guys in the passage. These are one of the groups that always give the Israelites fits. They they are actually advancing now to the point where they just have a certain period to go and they will actually invade the land of Israel. This is the land that God gave them, the promised land. So this is a big, big deal here. They're making kind of their last stand, I guess you would would say here, in the Israelites. So the battle is, is raging And the Philistines seem to be gaining the upper hand, certainly in numbers. They're increasing and increasing, and constantly, if you read these passages in here, the Israelites are always outnumbered with soldiers. This is one of those times as well. So you can see, this is a bit of a panic for Saul. Now, he's the king. He's the one who's supposed to come off as the military hero here. And so there would be panic for him in this situation. And so he's in this stressful time. This is very similar, if we can step back for just a second, to, to maybe situations that we find ourselves in. Do we have that time in your life where you, maybe you feel like that enemy, whether it's a person or a circumstance, is kind of advancing in on you on all sides, and you're just not quite sure what to do? I, even for Christ followers, there's those times when we just feel like we're being pushed and invaded. In fact, the Israelites would have felt that here. We're God's people why would we have to deal with this? Why, why does God's people have the small army and the Philistines the big army? And we feel this often ourselves. In fact, you may say this phrase to yourself, why does it have to be so hard? Have you ever said that at work? Why does it have to be so hard? When you're balancing your checkbook, why does it have to be so hard? In a relationship that you're trying to figure out or you're struggling with, why does it have to be so hard? For me this week, it was putting together bunk beds at the house. Um, I said that phrase many times. Some of it was said at a very loud volume in the house. Why? Does it have to be so difficult? Well, that's what's going on with Saul in this particular time and with Jonathan. I I want you to keep in mind one more thing. No matter what your preconceived notions might be of these two characters, the only real bad guys here are the Philistines. It's not... Saul, though we know he's going to blow it big time uh, a little bit later. He had already blown it. Uh, there's, there's not a good guy or a bad guy here other than the Philistines being the bad guys. 
there is something to gain from Jonathan and Saul in these 14 verses. And so as we talk about it the next couple of weeks, we're going to focus specifically on those 14 verses. But let me give you a, a little bit of an overview now of these two characters, and then we'll be done this morning. Saul is the king of Israel. Uh, the people didn't want, or excuse me, God did not want the people to have a king, but they persisted, they whined, they moaned, they wanted to be like all the other people out there, and so eventually God said, fine, all right, you'll see. And he gave them a king, and they would see. Very soon, they would see what would happen here. So Saul's anointed king by the prophet Samuel. It's only a short period of time before he kind of blows it uh, in the passage. We'll talk more about that next week. That's found in 1 Samuel 13. So Saul enters this passage, our passage this week, having just blown it and not wanting to blow it again. And so he's searching. He's seeking God. He's sitting still under a pomegranate with his people, and they are waiting to hear from God. And we'll talk about how we find that in the passage and how that relates to us next week. That's his situation. This summer, uh, I was... Uh, in the summertime, I did this mowing job where I just get on a mower and just mow for eight hours every day. And uh, this summer, we had a new mower. It was a, one of those John Deere 3520s, if you're a John Deere person. Um, it's got a full cage in it, so I can sit in there, I can crank the air conditioner, I can take my, my phone or iPod, I can plug the little uh, input jack in and listen to music over the four speakers that are in the cab of this truck, um, you know, it cushions like this. It bounces up and down as you're going along, um, which, you know, is fine for some music, but if I got my, you know, my hip-hop music going, that was really good. Uh, so I could ride in that, and, I mean, I'm just kind of sprawled out like a king in the 3520 mower, and so because it was my job to mow the grass, I would look over at the other guys who were on, you know, the, like the case, which is the front-end loader, you know, where you just get a dirty mess in one of those things, or, or the little tiny... Uh, little tiny moped things they had to ride around. Well, it took 25 minutes the first day of working for the back bolt of the, of the 3520 to break and fall off. And we have to send it to John Deere. So when you send it to John Deere to get fixed, you can pretty much guarantee you're not seeing it for six to eight weeks. Um, I think there's a line, and it must be about 200 tractors long because we, we never see it. And so... Um, <laughs> I turned and I had to get on the John Deere 425. There's no cage on the 425. There's no air conditioning other than if there's, it's a windy day. Uh, there's certainly no jack to plug in my iPod to listen to music. Uh, and the engine is right here between your legs as you're sitting on it. So, you know, you kind of have to sit with your legs really wide or you're burning all day. And so it went from this, this comfort thing where I could really listen to music and be cool out to this hot, you know, windy, dusty, and when the wind did blow, you know, the grass just blew back in your face as you were clipping it. Um, and so as I got out there, uh, I had no music. It was eight hours just going back and forth on a mower like this with nothing kind of but your thoughts. And I began reflecting. I began to process. I began to commune with God and to listen to him and to talk to him. I began to ask God things like, God, what's your direction for the Raven family? What's your direction for me? What have you empowered me in? Lord, what are these great things about Trinity International? But what would be great things about where you could lead us in the future? And every day, it was like hit and replay. 
and this processing was going on over and over. And all I was doing is sitting on a tractor, staring at a mark, trying to mow straight lines, reflecting and thinking. And that's a position that Saul is in. He's stopped. He's focusing. He's reflecting. He's looking for a word from God. It took half the summer or so before I even got to the point where I, I was able to come to Shri and say, you know what, I, uh, Shri, I think the Lord... I think the Lord is really revealing my passion for the local church. And Trinity's been great, but there's, there's just a feeling of there's a passion for the local church. It took half the summer of reflecting and focusing. That's what Saul is doing here. It's one of the ways we'll talk about seeing God's will. But there's another character here. His name's Jonathan. Jonathan's the son of Saul. He's clearly a go-getter. There's two passages, this and one more, where he clearly almost jumps the gun to go do something and to be active for God. He's just not content on sitting around. He'd rather kind of risk his life seeking out a fight with the Philistine outpost here rather than to sit back like, like Saul was doing and to contemplate and to focus. Uh, any of you like this? You're just ready to, to get out and go? Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, yeah. We're ready to get out and go. Now, I mean, some of us, you say, well, I have kids that way. Um, but... We're that way as well. There's times where we just want to get out and be active and to do something. How is Jonathan seeking God, you might ask? In fact, it would seem like Jonathan is doing the opposite of seeking God. He is not seeking God at all. He's just jumping right into acting and is not interested in seeing if God might be telling him something. But it's not really the case. We'll discover that in a couple weeks. The key is that in understanding Jonathan's desire and the way Jonathan seeks God, the key to understanding it is to remember the promise that was given already, the promise about this land. Remember I said the Philistines were coming all the way to the point where they could invade Israel now. Every Israelite would have known the promise that was set before him. This is your land and no one will stand against it. No one will occupy this land. And so through Jonathan, he is seeking he is seeking God in a different way. He is seeking God to just already fulfill what he has promised. And he does it by action here, by moving forward. But he has full expectation that God will deliver on the promise that he has already put in place. And so we'll talk about this in a couple weeks on how Jonathan is seeking here and claiming the promise. But you know, for you, you can claim God's promises. You can look at a promise in Scripture and you can claim it. If you're looking at a promise to supply all your needs, you can claim that promise. God allows us to do that. Maybe it's a promise of rest. You're weary. You can claim that promise and God will give you this. Maybe it's your neighbor you want to witness to. You can claim the authority that has come upon you and you will be his witness. We'll talk more about this in a couple weeks, and I think the Word of God will inspire us in this area to be active even as we're seeking. We'll talk about that, more of that then. One thing I want to keep clear for both these characters, despite their flaws seen in other passages, in this passage, at least in these 14 verses, it is clear they are seeking God. Now, Saul's already blown it before in chapter 13. He's going to blow it at the end of chapter 14. He's going to blow it to the, po at the point where God just says, look, you're done being king. All right, you're out. I'm getting a new guy. But at least in these 14 verses, he's seeking God. Jonathan would seem like at times he's such a go-getter that he might cause a little more trouble 
for, for the Israelites. But it's clear in this passage he's seeking by claiming a promise. And so we'll be focusing on these passages because God really only needs that one window for us to say, God, I'm seeking you. He needs that one window and he will speak. And when we receive, there's transformation. We'll talk about this more over the next two weeks, so I encourage you to be back and be involved in this. This morning, though, I, uh, well, I, this week, I had the privilege of having dinner with somebody in the church and, and to hear about his life transformation story and, and his journey to kind of being all in here at Wendover and in his Christian walk. The Lord is doing a great thing over the last six months or so, and I had the opportunity to hear that. And so uh, this morning, uh, this couple has decided to become members of Wendover. They've walked through the membership classes and uh, the time with the board, and so I wanted to finish off our service this morning or finish off this time of the word by inviting Dave and Sandy uh, to come on up. So sweet. Come on up front here. Come on up. <laughs> I don't believe it. Oh. So Dave and Sandy and Lee here have... Uh, have expressed their desire and commitment uh, to Wendover Hills and their desire to become members, covenant members this morning. And covenant members meaning uh, they're all in to get to that point where you say, this is not just my church home, but this is a place I'm going to fully commit my time, my energy, my resources, my finances to seeing God's kingdom develop and grow. And that's what they're committing to. It's not a commitment that's to be taken lightly. It's not like going down and just uh, you know, getting the little Subway fresh card. Uh, it is a serious commitment that people make before the Lord and before you, the church family. And so this morning, we're going to be receiving uh, this couple. Uh, in just a second, I have a couple questions to ask you, but uh, I want you to, to know that they have each testified their salvation in Christ, baptism, and the doctrines of the Wesleyan Church, and committed to God's service. So let me ask you a couple questions. You can all answer, uh, we do. All right? Do you commit to the union of fellowship and ministry with this body of believers? Do you commit to a continued growing relationship with God and service to Him through your talents and resources? All right. Church, now it's your turn, so would you stand with me? They are committing to you as a church family, but uh, as a church family, you commit back, and that's how we function together. Let me ask you a question, and you can respond as, as a church family saying we do. Do you, the body of believers at Wendover Hills, accept these new members, and will you commit to being a witness and a, to being a mentor to them as they strive to carry out their commitment to Christ? Then, maybe see seated. Well, on behalf of the Westland Church in Wendover Hills, I welcome you, Dave and Sandy and Lee, into full covenant membership. The Lord bless you. Thank you. Uh, Andy, thank you. Ready? The Lord bless you. All right. Good. Well, I don't want to let them go away quite yet, uh, because equally as exciting is the fact that Dave is starting his ordination track with the Westland Church, and actually begins tomorrow morning. He's a little panicked today about the things he's got to get done to be ready to go tomorrow morning. He just looks calm and collective, but he. He's really, 
he, he's really starting a great journey. And so we want to, this morning, we want to kind of commission him in this beginning of this journey. It's a multiple-year journey uh, in this, and, and we want to pray for him and commission him to start this process as the board has done. And uh, uh, when we pray for somebody, I'd love to see us lay hands on that person. And so I want to ask the family to come right down here to the center. And all who are willing, if you'd come up and just lay a hand on them, and, and then I want to pray a prayer for them. Let's pray. Father, your grace be known. Lord, in this situation where you have one of your children who is willing to raise up and say, uh, God, I'm surrendering to the point, uh, Lord, that I I want to be in full-time ministry, full-time vocational ministry, and walking through the process that's necessary for that. Lord, we just ask for your glory to be known through Dave now as he starts this process. Lord, we know that over the next several years, There'll be much work to do and much practical experience to be gained. Um, but ultimately, Lord, there'll be this, this love for you that will be able to be lived out. And so, Lord, I want to pray not just for Dave, but for Sandy and the whole family, um, that you would be empowering them and strengthening them to your glory for, to do your ministry, to do your work. Lord, there might be things that you need to reveal to them and care for them about, things that you need to grow up within them, and, and there might even be challenges faced along the way. Uh, but you are a God that honors it all. And so, Lord, we pray for them now in this process, Lord, that you would give them all the strength that they need to endure and press on. And, Lord, then would you be providing every step of the way, whatever needs to be provided for this process, the time that it takes, the resources that it takes, whatever, Lord, that you would provide, that there would never be a moment where there wouldn't be provision for this to continue. Lord, be with the Wendover Hills family as they desire to support Dave and to, to be uh, people who care for him, to, to help along the way whatever needs to be done. Lord, we commit to be a people also that will be ministered to by Dave and Sandy and the family as they're on this journey as well. We give you all the glory, Lord. We lift you up. We thank you for what, what you are doing through Dave because we know ultimately, Lord, it is you that we're pointing our faces to. We give this to you in your son's name. Amen. 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 Um, um.